You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. All right, good morning. Thank you, music team, for the band. We're going to get right at it. I want you to, um, I hope you brought Bible with you. Open up to Ephesians uh, chapter 2. We're going to read a little passage there in a moment. I, uh, I kind of wonder if anyone else has uh, felt like I have felt this past week. Um, I feel uh, that up until now, maybe it, at this junction of time, that you were able to have a difference of opinion and hold it to yourself and not have to necessarily declare that. But now we're moving into a season um, where we have to declare your opinions. And the walls of division are being erected. And maybe just I wonder if, if out of the, what have we got here, 150, 200 people, what if we had a different opinion on, on a certain issue? What if we had a different opinion on every major issue of life except Christ? Would that be enough for us to be family? And that's what we want to explore a bit today. So here's a question for you as we jump in this morning. And uh, if you think of it, then um, maybe jot something down. But by the time we leave today, will you and will I look on the siblings of God in God's family differently as a result of what we're going to talk about today? Would you look on the siblings of God differently as a result of what we're going to discover today. So let's read in Ephesians chapter 2, four verses here, uh, starting at verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom also you are being built together into a dwelling place by God or for God by the Spirit. That reading, together with what Brett read earlier from Acts 2, together with any other scripture reference we're going to look at today, uh, is where we want to land. That is the most powerful thing that you're going to hear this morning. Period. By far. God says that it's his word that will not return void. Everything that Todd has got to say today, everything that you've heard from the music team, from announcements to e-news to uh, anything else that, that would come out for today, pales in comparison to what has already been read. It's his word that's living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It's his word that we're even born again. It's his word, which is engrafted into the follower of Jesus, right? It's his word that you and I can't even understand until or unless the Holy Spirit uh, gives us the ability and open our eyes to that. And maybe that's why some churches do as we did today, stand when God's word is read because of all of that. No Sunday morning message, no contemporary songs, no great scholar can ever do what God's word can do. Nothing ever replaces it or supersedes it. But unless you and I get out of our passive approach to it 
or our mediocrity uh, as far as the intention and time and effort up against it, uh, then we're destined to never grow up. I wonder, could you, could I, think of a recent example in your life, like I mean a recent one, maybe in the last week or two, where you've changed a behavior because of something you've read in this book. And if not, why not? This is it. I think uh, more than one occasion as we read through scripture, followers of Jehovah, followers of Jesus, when they heard this read, wept, tore their clothes off in contrition and conviction. And we've just read God's word. I'm challenged. There's a, a song, I don't know, 10, 15 years. Oh, here's some of the lyrics. I've done every devotional. I've been every place emotional. Trying to hear a new word from God. And I think it's very odd that while I attempt to help myself, my Bible sits on the shelf. I think it's time I rediscover all the ground that I have covered. And something that this word of God speaks about is being in the family of God, the relationship that exists between many of the people that are here today, the sibling relationship of being in God's family. So you can make notes on the back of your, um, of your bulletins um, and maybe a question you might want to answer or give some thought to is, when you hear being a sibling in God's family, what does that cause you to think? Where does your mind go, your heart uh, response to that. So let's jump in. Family. Even that word family gives um, a sense of belonging or a sense of being accepted for who you are. And here at Hope Kelowna, I think we got the 5Gs. Yeah, there we are, the 5G. Here at Hope Kelowna, uh, our 5G life includes gather time, love for the family uh, of God or for God's family. The question is, I want to ask you, do you? Do you love God's family? And is that a, I love the idea of it? Or, I love these people. Look around. Now, that could get awkward. So, just, you know, do the peripheral, you know, out the corner of your eye. And whatever. I'm going to ask you to do that a bunch of times here this morning. Uh, so, because we don't want to make uncomfortable eye contact. But, do you love these people? You can't get enough of being with these people. Back in the uh, early 80s, uh, an author, Joyce Landorf, wrote a book called Irregular People. It's about the irregular people in our lives. And irregular people are those ones you're just not like. They're harder to like for you. They maybe say the wrong things, maybe even offend you on occasion. Uh, they're the people, though, you can't escape. And you know the old saying, you can pick your friends, but you're stuck with your family. Look around. 5G gather time is a love for God's family in gathered worship weekly. So let me ask you as you look around at the people in in your church family, is it, sure, I love you. Well, I mean that within the context of weekly gathering. Is that the sum total of what the Bible and what we at Hope Kelowna mean when it comes to family life? Or is there a call to something grander? We also have, part of the 5G is group time, a commitment to consistent growth and accountability within a community of believers. And we actually reference the Acts portion that Brett read. Commitment and growth 
and accountability with these people. So now as you catch that person in your eye that you're looking around, I want you to keep nonchalantly scanning everyone. You land, your, you land on one. Do you trust that one or tolerate that one? You land on another one. Do you exuberantly love that one or they're best in limited time exposure? You land on another one. I can't get enough of her or him or they're okay in small doses. That one there completes us uh, or they're like an 11th toe. Would you greet that one with a holy kiss or is it the kiss of death? Does your heart beat? We're, um, Melvin could quote all the lyrics. We were uh, referencing uh, prayer, uh, prayer time before the service, the song Family of God. It's because we're a family and these are so near. So this summer we've done um, Hope Hangouts uh, through the summer. Hands up if you attended one of them, at least one. Cool. From uh, West Bank to Lake Country, Oyama, uh, Hope hangouts every couple of weeks um, throughout, the, throughout the summer. And over the past uh, 17, 18 months, uh, within you know, um, uh, COVID protocols, we worked at being together however possible we could do it. Uh, we've got our online lobby you know, for pre and, and post service chatter. Um, Brett and Melvin and the elders have regularly promoted, uh, as you heard this morning, each person being part of of one or more groups, right? People who meet weekly, aside from Sunday morning. And being part of a group, when you think about it, just means spending time with your brothers and sisters in Christ because you value that more than anything else you could be doing. Over the summer, we've had this series um, of Life in the Sun messages. Started off with Steve Jantz, First Peter, the Gospel in Our Joy, um, uh, Lester took Luke 18, Matthew 5, Christian identity. Uh, Brett was Luke 15, the lost and found. Then Luke 16, money and influence. Uh, Melden from John 21, a word to the weary. And then again, uh, John 21, breakfast on the beach. And then last week, out of Luke 17, discipleship, uh, death. De uh, depth, not death, uh, though we are supposed to die. Um, so... This morning, we're going to chew on, within that Life in the Sun series, doing family. Now, we could focus on the perspective of being a child of God and all that, that warmth that gives us and all that we come into from, from our Heavenly Father. But instead, this morning, I'm going to invite you to consider uh, doing family, being in the family of God, as having siblings uh, and, and all the truth and impact and warmth there is being related to all these people. Uh, and more. All of the Life and Son messages, and by the way, you had no excuse not to take them in because they were recorded and, and you could take them in. So if you were off vacationing or off somewhere, you're able to take them in, and I encourage you to do that. Uh, all of them reminded us not just of some benefit or blessing, uh, but actually uh, to an otherworldly place to, um, to live them out, to step it up. And the same is going to apply today. In fact, as I was preparing, I I felt maybe almost bad. I was thinking, tone it down. It's too demanding. Uh, let it be, you know, something more warm and aspirational. But then I reflected on some things that Melden and Brad have said over the past few weeks, and here's some quotes. Not wanting to be a church of cruise ship mentality. I am done 
with Consumer Church. Uh, this passage calls us to go so much deeper than the shallow waters of North American Christianity. Uh, I'm, I'm quoting, present-day church is pretty shallow. There's a difference between the New Testament practice and that which we have today. Current concerns in our world, together with a watered-down discipleship, have blinded us from reading God's word for what it really calls us to. And then the, uh, these quotes, again, more quotes, but ones that tie directly to today's message. Remember hearing, we cannot truly love Jesus and be used for his glory if we have swagger towards others. When I say I love you, Jesus, I mean it if, if I am feeding and tending one another in the body of Christ. And then sometimes we make our physical family an idol. Alistair Begg says to the followers of Jesus, the wind of society is now less at our backs and more in our faces. For the first time, perhaps, we need to learn how to live well in Babylon. Folks, uh, it, it, it's been a slide uh, over the past decade or two, but over this year and over these past couple of weeks. The biblical evangelical voice that used to be at the table, then moved to in the room, then out of the room, and now, and now is considered um, almost unlawful. And even amongst the variations of so-called Christian faith, there's divisions, passionate differences. And I would say, within our congregation, there are walls of division. And these go far greater than you say tomato and I say tomato. So with all of that in context, that context in mind, let's look at being a sibling in the family of God. And we're going to look at four characteristics of being such a sibling. And you're going to see inside of each one of them this call to unity. I don't think I've ever sensed a time when there's a message I'm responsible for on a Sunday that I have um, felt was so needed. And so we're going to do family. So we're going to look at things like how do I get in the family and what does it live out as and what harms it? Uh, is there anything riding on us being family or is it just kind of a nice warm and fuzzy thing to do? A poignant moment in my life um, that's indelibly etched in my memory dates back to when I was 12. And uh, we, our family, my family had just started attending a church for the first time that, that uh, preached a clear gospel. And, um, and then in the summer of 1971, uh, they held tent meetings, seven days a week, for six weeks, just kind of like you'd see the old, old Billy Graham crusades, a big tent on a big bare city lot. Can you imagine that today? And so every night, and so I went to a bunch of them, and one particular night, I went just myself and my dad. And as we got there, the, the greeter just said to my dad, uh, welcome, Warren. To which he said, uh, it's brother. We can call each other brother now. To which that fellow smiled, big smile, and they hugged. You see, there is something unique and special and palpable and poignant about being in a sibling in God's family. And just like physical birth, there's this birthing that goes on uh, before you can be a sibling in God's family. And Jesus said, unless you're born again, 
you cannot be in the kingdom of God. And Paul spoke about the childbirth of as he was waiting for Christ to be formed in those that he was engaged with. So Ephesians 2 that we read presents, I just look at it and it says, presents four characteristics about being a sibling in God's family. And what we're going to look at, we're going to look at relationship. Something changes from what to what? We're going to look at redemption. On what basis do you even get um, into this family? We're going to look at retrofitting. And that, are we an eclectic collection here this morning? Or is, are we an object of intricate engineering? And we're going to look at residence, the kind of home Hope Kelowna is called to be in Scripture. I asked uh, some people to share what comes to mind when I say siblings of, uh, in, in God's family. And here's some of their comments. Well, it's powerful to think of people around the world serving the same God. My heart feels like it enlarges, and I can't live my life without them. There is nothing you could say that could make me love you less. <laughs> That's family. I think about others having the same spirit of God in and through them. All of us adopted into the same family. All of us valued and sharing in the same inheritance. Another comment was, when I go to heaven, I will see them all. And then some other comments like this. I am slightly disillusioned by the family of God. COVID has brought out polarized opinions that are continually repeated and in a condemning way. Relationship rises above the desire to tell others what and how I think things should be done. Acceptance is big. Acceptance as a person. And then this one. There is a superficial family within the family of God. And then there's those deep brotherhood relationships. The reality is the latter is rare. The reality is it's rare to have a David and Jonathan relationship. What do some scholars and writers say? To be part of the family of God means having a purpose in this life that has eternal significance. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, says, this is powerful, if one's thoughts about being in the family of God does not prompt and control his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. From the Got Questions website, being a part of the family of God is the greatest blessing, the greatest blessing bestowed upon believers and should drive us to our knees in humble adoration. D.A. Carson says, this one, this one means something. This family of brothers and sisters in Christ are more deeply connected to us than any other relationships, even our earthly families. Takes me back to that comment. Sometimes we make our physical families an idol. We share a spiritual unity through our common father, God. And as validation to that point, even stronger emphasis, hear the words of Jesus in Luke 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Matthew 10 puts it another way, and maybe it helps us with the context of that shocking language in Luke. And, he, and Jesus puts it this way. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. What's Jesus calling us to? An underlying, undying affection and faith, which includes complete, is the battery going on this? Which includes completely changing our viewpoint of family. No, don't be mistaken. The Bible is full of um, instruction on caring for family. And one of Jesus' last seven things he said while he's hanging on a cross was to care for his mother. Absolutely. And we want to do, or we ought to do as Jesus did. But two things. Your physical family is for time. That relationship's going to end. And one's physical family members may or may not share a sibling relationship in God's family. What a blessing if your physical family members are also members of God's family, born-again family. So let's look at verse 19 that we read, relationship. Being in a sibling in God's family includes this whole discussion of relationship. And there's an interesting, I think, sociological observation that's in play in today's world. On one hand, there's this poignant deconstruction of the biblical and traditional model of family. We got single parents where one parent has left the family. We got blended families. We got two moms or two dad families. We've got surrogate birthing. We got singles making purchases from, from a sperm bank and on it goes. And the identification within a male, female, two parent model is on the decrease. But on the other hand, the genealogy industry is skyrocketing. In 2019, $3 billion spent. They estimate it will get to $8 billion within the next five years. Why? Despite every family model under the sun existing, there's this growing manifestation of, of people's core need to belong, to identify with family, right? To have some kind of identity or a banner of sorts, right? The coat of arms, uh, your, your family flag, whatever it is. When our girls, when they were teenagers, used to go out on their own, uh, we would very often say to them, remember, you are Gladman girls, which to them meant they knew that they, what that meant, that they, they were, what it represented in care and conduct. To this day, we have Carrie Ann and I and the three girls, so no spouses, no grandchildren on it. We have an iMessage group called Gladman's Rule, Others Drool. <laughs> so we want to be, we want to be known, right, identify, and accepted. It's two fundamental needs of a human being. And so we see in Ephesians 2.19, this dramatic change occurs, right, a relationship that's completely different. You're no longer a stranger and alien, no longer a sojourner, no fixed address, right, no relationships of note. Now you are a citizen. You've got a fixed address, and you're related to most of the people, I would venture to say here, this morning. You're set apart with all the set apart ones in God's household. And verse 11 to 18, if we read that concept, blows the mind. This is the drama of it is in there where you read things like in our natural birth state, we're separated from Christ. We've got no providential promises, right? We've got no hope. We got no God. But now in Christ, that which is distant was distant is brought near. Okay, so here's the thing. 
Sure, we all get, uh, probably like to get warm and fuzzy about being reconciled to God, right? That's just me and God. Oh, we're reconciled. That's great. But here's the question. You and me, reconciled. That's the question. You reread there, made us one, broken down the dividing walls of race and heritage and practices and opinions and arguments and everything else that we judge each other through and separate ourselves. Broken down. Gone. Replaced with peace and with the recognition of having one Father accessed by one Spirit. How radical is this relationship? How is it to be practiced? Well, Brett read Acts chapter 2. So I want to walk you through that. Look around at your siblings again. Take that nonchalant, you know, just surveying the landscape, right? And ask yourself, how readily am I prepared to... Well, Acts 2 says, be together. Okay, check, sure, check. Got that one. How about next in Acts 2? Uh, you have all things in common. What do you mean all things and what do you mean in common? Then he goes, it goes on. Sell your possessions and use the proceeds to help your siblings. Shut the front door. <laughs> right? Maybe on a good day, I'll give a little bit to the benevolent fund. But I'm not selling my stuff. It goes on and says daily, daily being together. Not SMOs, Sunday morning onlys. Daily being together in each other's homes and doing church. Think about Jesus' prayer to his father in John 17. Get this, get this. Jesus, talking with his father. I pray that they, you and me, will be one just as you and I are one. I might sometimes wonder if my prayers are really what God wants. That's why we always ask, you know, if, you know, your will be done. I, I might wonder that sometimes. Okay, Lord, if it's your will. But you've got to know if Jesus prayed it, God agrees. So look at that person here today, you, you know, as you look around. Jesus wants you to be one with them just like he is with his father. That's what we're called to. This isn't, um, you know, church when I feel like it. Brothers and sisters, I don't think Jesus and his father had petty arguments. I don't think they had times where they weren't on speaking terms with each other. I don't think they would split churches over opinions. I don't think when they talked, they argued uh, about their own preferences. I don't think they did passive-aggressive social media posts. I don't think they tried to get the Holy Spirit on their side in the discussion. You and I can be one in perfect harmony. And how do I know that? Because Jesus prayed it. Verse 20, redemption. On what basis do you even get into this family? How do you even become a sibling? Well, it tells us Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. Folks, a cornerstone or a building's entire structure hangs on the integrity of the cornerstone or where they square it. Your entrance into the family, your redemption, it's all on Christ. There's no other name under heaven given amongst mankind that you can be saved. It's the name of Jesus, full stop. No Jesus, no redemption, no family. Again, verses 11 to 18 just gives us, brings it alive. Right? Verse 13. Um, what does, why is it Christ Jesus? I don't know for sure, but I'm 
toss this out. Why is it Christ Jesus, not Jesus Christ? Is there anything in that order of his name? Well, Christ first. It's his deity. It's his authority, the Messiah, the anointed, and the appointed one from before all eternity, stepping in. Jesus, the manifestation of Christ in the flesh. Jesus, the name that means salvation. The one who walked a sinless life, the Lamb of God who would sacrifice himself. In verse 13, it says the blood of Christ. In verse 16, through the cross. Back to verse 20, it says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. What's that foundation? Well, let's take the prophets. Almost 4,000 years of history in the Old Testament. And then we read in Hebrews, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke of our fo- to our fa- forefathers by the prophets. And it goes on and about this appointed one, this one who is much superior than angels, this one who created the world and who represents the exact imprint of God and who has now made purification for sins, for our sins. And after satisfying all those penalties, he sat down. It is finished. Christ Jesus. The apostles, well, what do they say? Lots we could read on that. I'll just read one passage. 1 Corinthians 15. Lays it out really clearly. This is the foundation of the apostles. I remind you of the gospel, which you are to receive and stand on and hold fast to. Christ died for our sins, was buried, and on the third day rose again. I love Romans 5. It serves as this powerful uh, read of God loving the unlovable. Because here's how you and I are described. Four ways. Weak, ungodly, sinners, enemies in opposition to God. And to each of those, the response is, Christ died, Christ died, Christ died. Jesus, only Jesus, always Jesus, by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. That's how you get to be a sibling in God's family. John 1.12, that's why it says, to him, to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives them the authority to be a child of God. Not by physical birth, it says, or birthright. Not by your will, by God. And guess what? Guess what? Every sibling you have in God's family, as you look around, every single one of them, that's the basis of how they got in. Shame on us. Shame on us. If we dare to look at anyone else in the congregation that claims Christ as Lord with any other lens than that. I'm telling you, this point alone can make a very practical difference in your and my life, in all of our lives. It impacts relationships if you look at each other that way. You married ones, put it into practice when you're praying about your spouse. Dear Lord, I'm talking to you now about Carrie Ann, who is yours, who you value and gave your son for. It makes the difference is between people go away. It doesn't matter what your opinions are. Are you, are you one on who Christ is? Verse 21, retrofitting. Are we this random collection, eclectic collection, or a display of intricate engineering? We see that um, in verse 21, that being a sibling in God's family means you're part of a building project. Now, if we had a building project here at Hope, I can tell you a lot of people would get on that real hard and fast, way in, right? I got good news for you. Being a sibling in God's family, you're automatically enrolled in a building project. There's a retrofitting going on. I chose that word because that word means to add something 
that didn't exist otherwise or would not otherwise have it. And so we're built as this family for a purpose, built as a temple. Seven years ago, uh, one of our daughters and I walked across Spain, 618 kilometers over 27 days. And along the way, we saw a lot of churches, churches that were like a thousand years old. They were monuments to the creativity of man and the skill of man. They were truly magnificent. But I got news for you. The building that you are part of as a sibling of God, that you're being constructed into, frankly, that's been retrofitted to magnificence way beyond any thousand-year-old uh, church. Retrofitting, I could think of at least two additions that seem to be here that don't exist in any other manufacturing of a people group. It says, for you and your siblings, don't say it quite that way, but you are a dynamic building, organically growing. You've got verve. You've got vigor. 1 Peter 2 says, you are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. And just like here in Ephesians, it says there, Jesus is the cornerstone from which all the other stones are set in place. And that brings us to the second retrofitting add-on. We're joined together in the Lord. God has designed and assigned us to represent a specific component, a specific God-ordained role or purpose. 1 Corinthians 12 gives us a lot on that. God arranges the members, each one as he chose, that God has so composed this building, this body. And the purpose of our great carpenter, what's he doing this for? Why does he appoint and arrange? Well, verse 25 in 1 Corinthians 12, that there be no division. That's why that there's no division, that siblings would have care for one another. In this third characteristic of, of, of retro, being retrofitted, there's, um, again, we see unity. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The foot needs the hand. The ear needs the eye. And vice versa. They don't criticize each other. They don't criticize themselves. They recognize that his masterful retrofitting means I know and accept my role. And I recognize and appreciate your role. And then verse 22, the residents. So what's this intricate engineering for? What happens when this, with this building together? The siblings of God are supposed to be a residence. For who? For God himself in the spirit, in the person of his spirit. Look around you, brothers and sisters. As a collective group, we are to be a home where God is at home. It's not uncomfortable. He's at home. God, forgive us. God, forgive me for being preoccupied with our stick-built homes more than I am with the home God has built amongst us for his residency. God, forgive us. Forgive me for overly being or being self-absorbed with the idea of focusing on his dwelling in me at the expense of not also appreciating perhaps more his dwelling in our collective church body. So what's riding on this, on doing family like Ephesians 2 and Acts 2? When we see relationship as being what Jesus prayed that we would have, when we see redemption in each other, as the shepherd lay down his life for. When we see retrofitting 
of God engineering us so that we got value and we value each other's role. When we see one another as part of the residence God is looking to dwell in, when we do Acts 2 kinds of sibling life, then just as it says in Acts 2, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As the, as the music team comes back up, at Hope, we're do, are we doing family as God intended? If we are, we will see people saved. Jesus said, by, all, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. It's not by our creative um, parking lot church. It's not by a great music team. It's not by a gifted past, uh, pastor's messages. No. It's by doing family, doing sibling love, that looks like relationship, redemption, retrofitting, and residence. In Revelation, I'll just read one of them. Uh, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all the tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is the heart of God. That's the mission of God. The question is whether that's my heart and my mission. People reconcile to God and then reconcile to each other. When we join in heaven, there's going to be no segregation, no discrimination of any kind. We will see everyone through eyes that are fixed on Jesus. We love 1 John 1, uh, 1 John uh, chapter 3, the love of God to me and the child that I will be like Jesus. But don't stop reading. Get to chapter 4. First John 4 points out that loving your church family is how you know if you're even saved. If you don't, it says, you're still dead in your sins. It says we ought to lay down our lives for our family of God's siblings. It says, let us agape love one another. That agape loving your siblings is what born again lives like. And not agape living is, well, not being born again. It says, if or since God loves you, you owe, you're obligated, you're indebted, you must love your family of God's siblings. And then, get this, we have never seen God in person, you and I. But it says there that sibling, agape, loving people have God in them. And so I get to see God if you love me that way. And you get to see God if I love you that way. Instead of how can I fit the church into my family agenda, it's how, I can, how can I fold my family life into the purposes and practices of the church. It's doing family, Ephesians 2 and Acts 2 way. Let's pray. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, would you give us the grace, the ability, the equipping to set aside our desires that are of our flesh and to allow the Holy Spirit to prompt us to be one with each other. Would you give us the desire to, to uh, show that unity to the world around us? A world that's got heartache and confusion, uh, who are lost, and we can be Christ. We can uh, be yourself to them. We ask this for the sake of your Son and in his name. 
Amen.